0: Good morning. Good morning. There are a lot of you this morning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can I get some water by any chance? Sparklets, maybe? Um, intentionally, well, I, was, we were, I was supposed to speak with Mr. Markley uh, tonight, but uh, I heard on Wednesday that uh, the Lord had uh, other plans. <laughs> So, I heard that on Wednesday, and uh, I gulped. I gulped hard, and I thought maybe I should study a little, a little harder than that. And so, at times you're gonna see me flip the page, and it's gonna be a, <laughs> it's gonna be a hard flip. I spoke with Rick, and uh, I, I, what I, oh, thank you, thank you, brother Bob, thank Say you. Oh, okay. Rick squared today, is what we call call each other, Rick spoke uh, to me about uh, what he wanted to speak on, and uh, I had something totally different until he uh, corrected my path and told me that he was going to speak on the workmanship of, uh, of of Christ, so I said, no oh, okay i don 't think I can do that. <laughs> I was studying the, uh, the the head coverings and um, and the head coverings, you have Adam and you have Eve, so you have man and you have woman. So in the beginning, it was man and woman, so you start from perfection. And I was studying Adam and Eve, and what better workmanship to speak on about God, uh, God's workmanship, than Adam and Eve. So we're going to get started. So please turn to your Bibles and uh, to Genesis, one of the greatest books in the Bible. I'm sprinkle that out there. I'm going to be speaking about the workmanship of God, and God's workmanship in the beginning um, is pertaining to Adam and his role in in the Garden of Eden, and how that he was separated um, and anointed for God's glory to do the work of God and to glorify God. We're going to start off in uh, verse 1 of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the, of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness, and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters um, from the waters. Let me skip down to... Verse 21, and God created great whales and every living creature that moveth with the waters, um, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 22 says, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day, and God said, let there be earth. Or let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth and after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our own, in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and, all of, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female he created. So what we have here is an account of God and his creation. In six days he created the heavens and the earth. He made light. He made night and day. He made the evening and the cool of the earth. He made fish, and his thought was to make man. He did have a garden, and it was the Garden of Eden. And uh, we see that there were things in this garden that he did not need man for. He did not need man as far as God and the three, uh, the Godhead three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They did not need someone to till the ground as far as as far as his creation. He didn't need um, a or he had no need for man, that's what I'm saying. In verse eleven, in chapter chapter one and verse eleven, it says God let the earth and God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yielding seed, and the fruit of the tree yielding fruit. So we see that there, is a, uh, that there is a self-sufficiency in God that he, again, like I said, he didn't need man, He didn't, but he wanted him. So we have Adam in verses uh, 28, um, verses from 26 to 28, and we'll read on that. It says, God said, let us make man in our image after the likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God he created He him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moved. So now what we see now is God and the creation of man he has a purpose for man in doing the work for God so that the man can glorify God and what he's doing in the garden. We see in verses in chapter 2, verse 5, he there in every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had caused it not to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Again, the self-sufficiency of God. Verse 8, it says, There he put man whom he had formed, Chapter two, verse fifteen. It says, "And the Lord God took man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it." See, the idea here is that Adam, in being the first man, was given a purpose. His purpose was given to him um, while he was doing the work. We see that Adam never asked the question, "Why? Why he was there? Why? Why was he supposed to till the ground? Why was?" Why was he walking around? What put him there? When did he get here? It didn't matter. He was in the garden. He was placed in the garden, and in the work that he did, as he was anointed by God and separated to do his work, there he got his purpose. He got his purpose, and and he was intellectual also. He was therefore uh, he had understanding to do the purpose in which he never challenged God. We see that there was something to challenge later on in the fall in chapter three, of a We'll get there later. Um, And the fact that a glorious God in making everything glorious and making everything good, as it was said in verse 7, or um, on the seventh day, that he rested because he saw that everything was good. It was basically glory setting apart man, anointing him so that he could glorify God within the work that he was doing. So it was glory Glorifying God and his work. And in his own, we see that Adam gets his purpose and he gets glorified through the work that he's doing for God. I have a thought here, and it says, It was not Adam who formed Adam. His purpose was solely based on the will of the master craftsman and his intentions for man. Adam did not wander aimlessly in the Garden of Eden, asking himself, Why am I here? How did I get here? Where will I go? But the how was evident. Even if glory did not show himself, he was surrounded by the glory of Eden, which testified of the glory of God. Now, continuing on in chapter 2, we see the intellect that God has imparted upon man. That in his workmanship, that God didn't do anything or half-based. He did it fully. We see that Adam was smart. He was intellectual. He was knowledgeable. And he was understanding. And not only that, he was special. In chapter 2, verses 15, and I'll read, it says, And the Lord God took man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. We have obedience, and he knew he was to dress it and to keep it, and therefore there was his purpose. We have 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat it freely. We have law given and freedom in the law to eat. Verses 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. We have a warning from the law. We have an understanding that Adam knew of death, even though he was just given life, which is very interesting. You have verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. You have concern and understanding that the work is given, that after the work and during the work, man can be alone at this time. Verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature... That was the name thereof. He said God brought animals to see what he would call them, and that's what it was. Um, Here you have an inquisitive mind of God. Um, You have an omnipotent God, omniscient and all-knowing, but still, he still wanted to see what Adam would call these beasts. Um, And whatever he called them, that was it. Put aside here for you. Okay. Okay, I'm going to (laughs) stay. I wonder. I, I wonder what Adam was thinking when he came into to the platypus. I wonder if he had to. <laughs> he had to cough or something. When you think he's like cat, dog, platypus. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would have named something a little different. Maybe a wolf, a shamalam, or something. A shamalam is at the door. But anyway. <laughs> Continuing in verse twenty, it says Adam gave names to all the cattle and all the fowl of the air and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. In verse twenty-one, it says, "And and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof." Now we have the 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 workings of God making him a helpmeet, but we have um, which, is, which is very interesting in reading this verse 21 to 25 you have the understanding and the knowledge of of adam and this also proves the workmanship of god um, and how god also had the the intentions of woman to be in that workmanship as well and the plan of his work to dress the field and glorify god as well we have uh, um, again it's interesting if you you read it fast there's something in here in verses 22 uh, 21 and 23 that if you do read fast, you, you, you'll miss it. Um, so I'm going to read it fast and see if you guys get it. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, mad, made he woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked man and his wife and were not ashamed anybody get it no it wasn't the last part they were both naked it was in verse 21 in verse 20, 20 uh 22 you have you have the work of God and you have the understanding of Adam which is really cool I thought And I'll read it for you slowly. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. Verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, what you have here is understanding that when God moves, this is from Adam, when God moves, Adam recognizes that it was not him who did it. Verse 22 says, The rib that was taken from man made he woman. The work when it's heavenly, when it's anointed, when it's set apart, and it's God-ordained, Adam recognized it, that it wasn't his work. It wasn't the work of Adam that brought out woman. I mean, duh. <laughs> but in Adam's case, do you, I, as far as many think, I, I mean... In this study, I was studying this for a week, and I was asking some of the people at work who they. I mean, they always ask me questions like, "What do you think of Adam? What do you think of you know the first man? What do you think of him?" and and their questions. Oh, he just you know wandered around the garden aimlessly eating fruit. It's like no, he was a knowledgeable man, and and, and the fact that he, that was the things that were revealed to him by God that he can recognize that this is a this is God's work. I mean. I could ask every man in here right now when they first saw their rib, who's married. If you're married, if you're a man, and you're married. You first saw the woman that you were going to marry, and you knew that that was your rib. That's a revelation right there. It's not like a, it's a woman. Hey, Robert, shaking your head? Yeah, that's my rib. <laughs> and just to think of the account is when Adam, you know, he woke up and you know it's like uh, he's doing calisthenics to you know compensate for the rib that was gone, and out comes woman. That's a revelation to him. He's like, I didn't do this. This is the work of God. And then you have him prophesying um, in verses 24. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Again, 23 says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Woman because she was taken out of man. Now you have the intentions, or or, or you have to ask the question, um, how did Adam know what a father and a mother was? He didn't have one. (laughs) That only shows the intention of Adam and the revelation of God through his intentions. And what were his intentions? He planned on making a lot of babies. He knew he was going to be a father later on. He knew he was going to, that Eve was going to be a mother. So that means that Eve was included in the work and the and the workmanship of God, and the perfectness um, and imperfection. Just decide they had no belly buttons. Sprinkling that in there. <laughs> to even think um, about the wonder and the workmanship of God and how 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 and I was able to dwell on this this past week and how babies are made in the womb and how for nine months they're housed that's unbelievable when you think about it I mean if you've got eyes that grow and what really blew me away was like to me weird but the, the fingernails like there's fingernails inside I, I don't know I don't know if I'm a finger but I'm just saying that there are fingernails that, and you have, fingernails, and you have, <laughs> you have the psalmist who, who understands this in Ecclesiastes, and, and you have Psalm 139, 13, and this correlates to the same thought I had, not, not to fingernails, but just and the fact that women are in the, in the workmanship of God, he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and knit me together in my mother's womb. Ecclesiastes 11.5 Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Later on in chapter 3 or very quickly in chapter 3 I don't know, we're not giving the timeline as far as when when woman was, uh, had fallen but The reason why I say woman is because Eve wasn't given her name until after the fall, after they had sinned. Um, But he called her Eve because she was the Eve of all life. Um, Adam knew his wife after that because apparently he didn't know her well enough. They experienced a lot of first-time things after the fall that they didn't have to experience Wasn't one of them, which was was undoubtedly pain. And you think of these things, and and that God redeemed them, and God put them um, on the earth for the glory of God. And in that, um, she was able to give birth and glorify God through that. And it was promised that the seed that she was going to have would be the redemption for all of mankind, and that the seed will crush the serpent's head. I mean, as far as going on the, uh, the first of everything, you have Adam, and then you have now Eve outside of the garden, and you have a glorious work that is, that is thwarted by the devil, which, I mean, you've got to be a terrible person to see someone making a glorious work and to come in and undermine that and destroy it. He was a liar and a murderer from the start. Um, man. But we do thank God that, that he did have a plan of salvation. And uh, I remember I was uh, Brother Magdi, he said one time, he says, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, oh no, what do I do? <laughs> He had the plan of salvation ready, and uh, you know, poor Adam and Eve. You've got Eve giving birth, probably for the first time, and and Adam's like, I don't know what's going on, and she's screaming, and then there's blood everywhere and sweat everywhere, and she's crying and she's looking at him. You did this to me, and he's looking at her. No, you did this to all of us. <laughs> Yeah, he's on his knees, with his hands on his head, saying, my God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? <laughs> but through that, we get redemption. <laughs> so the application of this, what is all the point? What's the point of this? What's the point of Adam and Eve being the workmanship um, and God in the beginning of the glory? And uh, Because we're fallen. We can't really have the same. What's the point? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. This is the second letter to the uh, Corinthians, written Paul by Paul. I should have had it bookmarked. Yep. Second Corinthians, chapter five, and I'll begin by reading in verse fourteen: "It's for the love of Christ constraineth us." because we judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Once again, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe it? Do you believe? Do you believe that, that, that God sent not his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him? Do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe that the work that Christ did on the cross the work that we heard that we could worship this morning and the work that was given unto us, that if you believe that, you will become a new creation. You will be a new creature. Everything is old. All all the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. By his blood, we are reconciled unto Christ, a perfect man. So now in his perfection, if you believe that, You can glorify God through Christ. Just as Adam in the garden found purpose in his life that he was able to glorify God by dressing the garden. Now, in doing the work for Christ, you can glorify God. That was the comparison. That's what I wanted to show you guys. And and you get purpose from that. We are beseeched by Paul also in Romans 12 that I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Why? Which is your reasonable service. If you believe it, you won't ask why, just as Adam didn't ask why. What did he do? He, in obedience, he tended the field, and in that he glorified God. Now that glory set apart glory so that he can do the work, to glorify God. We can do the same. And the same fact that in our fallen states. We cannot see God. But because of the work on the cross. And his shed blood. And we believe in his resurrection through repentance. What we heard. And you need those three things. Death, burial, resurrection. You need blood. You need repentance of sin. And you need the acceptance of the savior. If you do that. Then these things you can glorify God now. And not only that, the purpose that you have in working for him, again, you don't have to ask why. Um, men are special. Um, God has imparted upon us wisdom, um, intellect. you got to ask yourself. Now, now in these days we have this postmodern um, atheism that goes around that completely denounces God, and atheism obviously does that But not only this, nowadays, what it is, is if you get rid of God, you get rid of the purpose for man. You get rid of the workmanship of God. You get rid of um, the uniqueness of man that God has imparted upon us. We have uh, Nietzsche who said, um, we will need lanterns to be lit in the morning hours meaning that those without God will have no vision, no sight to see anything in the morning hours where daylight is, where God obviously made the light for man to walk. He says their mind intellectually will be gone. There's no purpose for him. Why? Without God, there is no purpose. We have, uh, um, and I'll close with this, uh, a well-known evangelist and apo- uh, an apologist, um, John Lennox, um, he spoke at an apologetics conference in Costa Mesa a while back, and he, uh, he expounded on the purpose and the intellect and also the dignity of, of, of man as imparted to us by God. And I'll read that. It says, John Lennox... Um, The question of the uniqueness and dignity of human beings is vastly important. People are engaged in redefining what is life. I want you to go away with this sense of uniqueness. The stars are beautiful. They were not made in the image of God, though they show his glory. You were. That imparts to you an infinite value and dignity and purpose. If ever I needed convincing that human beings were unique, I would say this, ladies and gentlemen, God became one. God became one. And with that, I'll give it up to Rick Markley, my better half.
1: Thank you, Rick. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We'll continue the same thought that Ricky presented. What God does is perfect. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 reads like this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's several thoughts in this verse, and this is where we'll start. One is he's speaking to the believers in Ephesus, and for every believer is part of that we. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're part of that we. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus. And it goes back to the very verse that Ricky presented, and that was from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This morning as I was was praying for Ricky and myself and you all, uh, uh, this message that we're created in Christ Jesus, he's indwelling us by his spirit as a result of the cross when Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, he opened the door, so to speak, so that we could have a relationship with God, the one that was lost with Adam and Eve. And now he indwells us. We're created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship is from an ancient Greek word. The Greek word is is poima, P-O-I-M-A. And actually, it's, the, uh, it's an ancient word. that used to mean poem in Greek. And that's where we get our word poem, a piece of poetry, a piece of art. Sometimes a work of art is, a, is, is like a, is poetry. It, it's a thing of beauty. And that's where the word comes from. We're his workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. The same word is used in Romans 1 and 20. Um, if you want to turn there with me, we'll just go to it for a second uh, to show you something that I find uh, amazing. Uh, Romans 1 and 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. That word is the same word, poema, poetry. Even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And what uh, Paul's making an argument here in, 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 in that those who can't see God's handiwork in creation, uh, when it comes time to judge them, they're without excuse. It's there, the power and the beauty of His creation. And so the picture is this. This word poema is used to describe his creation the stars, the galaxies, the universe, all the way down to the uh, subatomic particles, all that is is, is the beauty of his creation. A redeemed person has the same beauty in God's eyes. He's a poem, she's a poem in Christ Jesus. I mean, what a contrast between, well, let's go back to to Ephesians again. And uh, really start, and we'll get an increased uh, perspective on what this, this beauty really means. And uh, in Christ, we were created for a purpose, uh, as Ricky was sharing. Uh, and he, Paul talks again in verse 10, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Prepared for good works. We're, we're prepared for good works. A new creation prepared for good works. let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 to gain some perspective I was going to say uh, as I was praying for Ricky and myself and and y'all this morning uh, this treasure that we have within us uh, created in Christ Jesus he's in us and this message that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus is—it's <laughs> kind of silly—but I, I felt like a, a cheap uh, little glass vessel from the 99-cent store holding a very, very expensive perfume. I mean, that's just the way I felt. Uh, here am I—you uh, know—it's an earthen vessel. Paul called himself. I call myself a cheap 99-cent little glass vessel with a sprayer. You know. Uh, yet you have a treasure within us. It's Christ Jesus. We've been brought to a special place, a privileged place in Christ Jesus. Well, where did we start? Let's go back to Ephesians 2 and 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so Paul is is making his argument here to the Ephesians. This is where you came from, but because of the cross, this is where you're at. This is where you start with. You're dead in sins and trespasses. And the Bible uses a lot of words to describe those who are outside of Christ. They're blind. They're lost. They're sick. They're slaves. They're aliens. And here he uses the phrase, they're dead. Now, no, we're not ethically dead. We're not morally dead. But we're spiritually dead because of the rebellion of Eve and and the sin of Adam and Eve at the very beginning. That's our nature. We're, We're dead spiritually. We have no relationship with God. And what God would like is to restore that relationship. So he's planned ahead of time what he was going to do. Those who would take Christ as their Savior, and for this his son had to come and go to the cross, but for those who would do that, he had a plan As to how they would be restored, Uh, he had a blueprint. They're predestined, uh, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. They were predestined. Uh, He had a blueprint as to what the plan was for everyone who chooses Christ as their personal Savior. First, they're going to be adopted as sons, then, they're going to be forgiven of their sins, then, they're going to gain an inheritance. They're going to have this treasure within them. They were dead in trespasses and sin. That's where we were, spiritually dead. How bad was it? Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So, Paul is reminding the Ephesians, and it's just as well that the Word of God is reminding us what our condition is outside of Christ. We walk in the course of this world, uh, a sexual immorality, uh, you serve only yourself, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Uh, I was watching an ad for a movie the other night on TV, and it sounded just like this. Come see this movie because this is going to be just about you. Impurity, Lust. Greed, you know, and these are uh, ways to attract people to the movies. But this is our condition outside of Christ. (laughs) Following the course of this world, it's also according to the prince of the power of the air. So many things are satanic, and I'm glad Ricky mentioned this in his message, that the work of Satan is to ruin lives. That's his whole goal. Can I ruin this life? Diabolical, evil, actively seeking to ruin lives. That's the work of Satan. And we're just swept along with that outside of Christ. There's nothing to hold on to. We're just, the world just takes us right along. And Satan does his work in destroying lives. I can remember going to college, and there are so many uh, people I know just kind of, you know, they're all in the same freshman class together, and phew, they all go off and go out this way, this way, this way. They all kind of disappear by the end. Just a few wind up at the end. Lives are ruined, immorality, lust, greed. Lives are ruined outside of Christ. That's the work of Satan. There's judgment to come. Among whom verse three, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so that's our condition. He reminds Ephesians of this. And it speaks to my heart. That's where I was outside before I came to know the Lord as my personal Savior. On that broad road leading to destruction. That's where Satan wanted me to go. And just by his grace, I heard the gospel message. I met my wife. and I had a yearning in my own heart to know what the truth was. I mean, I'd always gone to church but i was missing something and that's what we shared the first time that we were on a actually a trolley uh, in pittsburgh we're heading to her church i asked her how she got saved and she told me the story of the uh... was it the we think for a second public rich man and the publican and the preacher had pointed out it was the it wasn't the 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 rich man it was the publican, or the, no, it was the Pharisee, right, came, the Pharisee, uh, you know, prayed how great he was. And yet it was the publican who got saved because he repented of his sin. He knew he was the sinner. And that's what spoke to her heart. And there was this yearning in my heart, and then I heard the gospel message, and uh, eventually it sunk in, okay? And it, took, it, was, it was a spiritual awakening in my own heart to realize that the issue was that I had to trust Christ as my own Savior. The cross work was for me. And so I rejoice in verse 4 here. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Wow, marvelous. I mean, to me, that's a, these are verses to memorize. These are treasure verses. Uh, a jewel here in the word of God He's rich in mercy. And his great love. Now, mercy is not getting what you really do deserve. That's mercy. And God is rich in mercy. Justice is getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. And that grace is what God is pouring out on us because of the work of Christ on the cross and his and his. He's, his resurrection, and he's alive, and he's working in the lives of each believer. I mean, it's fantastic, the treasure that's within us, this workmanship, that God has crafted something in our own hearts, in our own lives. He's given us a new nature because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, By which you grace, by grace you have been saved, and this is the emphasis here: is that it's not something that we have done that saves us; it's something that he's he's doing. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's his plan, okay, to recover those who, have been, or who are lost, those who are dead in their sins and their trespasses. That's his way to recover them. It was in the cross of Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. He took the initiative. What happened was that God has a quarrel with sin. And Jesus has taken, took up the quarrel. And he dealt with it by offering himself at the cross. And there he would bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He settled it. He, what, the result of what Jesus has done is brought peace between God and man. And once you've trusted Christ as your savior, you can enjoy that peace. And we're brought into a privileged place and that's verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places or in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. He's raised us up together. Later in chapter 2, it talks about we're fellow citizens, uh, we're f- uh, fellow citizens and uh, with the saints and members of the household of God. But he's raised us up together and made us sit together. I think that's interesting. Uh, because that means that uh, you, Ricky, and uh, you, Andrew, and uh, Scotty, we're going to sit together. He's raised us up together, okay, into a privileged place, into the heavenlies. And as fellow citizens, we're like citizens of, 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 a, of a, a city or a country together. We're citizens of heaven. He's raised us up to that, that, uh, that position. Uh, that means, for example, we would pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we're in the heavenlies we want things done here the way they're done up there Um, we have a sense of ownership of heaven Uh, the rivers of the waters of uh, the river with the water of life is ours we all own it Uh, the gold streets the jasper walls we all own it we have a sense of ownership of heaven you see and the peace and the joy that reside in heaven is ours by entitlement once we have trusted Christ, He's made us alive. He's raised us up together. Not just a few of you, not just, you know, this, this, what are, who are in this church, but all those who have put their faith in Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, are raised together into this entitled position. I mean, it's, it's we have no right to it. We're this little 99 cent. <laughs> uh, a perfume bottle, right? And we have this treasure within us. It's fantastic. He made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I've given these who put my their, their faith in my son for their salvation. Uh, I've given them this gift, you see, and it's nothing they deserved, but it's more than they asked for, okay? That's grace. I'm going to show the exceeding riches of my grace in the ages to come, and that's going to be our position in Christ. That's amazing. In the ages to come, the exceeding riches of his grace. We had riches of mercy, now we have exceeding riches of grace. In this one chapter. And in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This salvation is the gift of God. And our faith in what Jesus has done for us is our entitlement to all this. And it's by grace. Here's a gift Uh, nothing that we deserved, more than we uh, deserved. And we're saved through our faith and not of yourselves. You know, you can imagine getting to heaven and there's probably some people who would like to say, well, uh, Jesus died for my sins, but I I also did this. And that's my entitlement to be here. And Paul said, that's not true. All it is is the faith that you've had that has brought you here. Now there will be rewards that will be based on what you've done for Christ. And God will be the righteous judge of those works that we have done for him. Um, we, we have Sunday school teachers who are not able to be with us here this morning. Uh, they're laying up a reward in heaven, you see, because what they're doing is because they love the Lord and they're, and they're serving him. Uh, there's some that work in Iwana, There's some that work at the home. Uh, but all these works have a purpose, but it's not to gain not to gain heaven. It's through faith. And that's what Paul's trying to get at. It's not of yourselves. It is what? It is the gift of God simply by simply trusting the right person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting God's word that he died for my sins. He died for your sins. I'm tired of the old life. I want a new life. And the only place you can find that is at the cross, where he died for your sins and mine, and trusting him as your personal savior. I'm sorry. I think, I'm, I think that's the right time, and I'm over Okay, I was looking back there, and it's only 20 minutes to to two. Okay, I'm so sorry. Okay. But the result, let's just finish here. Uh, Not of works, lest anyone anyone should boast. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're going to do it to serve him. We're laying up that reward which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do praise and thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that seals us for him. May he live through our lives and uh, live in us, Lord. May he be the king of our lives. We thank you for the gospel message and where we are in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.